global controls will have to be imposed and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, 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 we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's you just blew my mind. Tim Foyle Hat. Tim Foyle Hat. Yes, and welcome to another episode of Tim Foyle Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. Join me, as always, is my man, XG in the place to be. It's a very blue Monday. It's blue, 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 man. We go deep for the Rams. We're going blue for the Rams. So it's going to be a good week. We can't let the Boston people beat us in the Super Bowl and the World Series. But that's a different show. Guys, I want to thank everybody who came out to uh, the Minneapolis uh, House of Comedy. It was like the the craziest storms ever. Y'all came out. We packed the house. Tons of tinfoil hat people there. I'm so thankful you guys came out. You bought all the shirts that we had available. And if you want to get some of the shirts, like the Lizard People shirts, just go to uh, Tinfoil Hat Comedy Night. Okay? Go Tinfoil Hat. And then let me see if I got this for you. Did I bring it? Here it is. Yes. The new tinfoil hat shirts are, in fact, available. And bam, that's for you, buddy. Perfect. Enjoy it. Thank you, okay? thank you. The tinfoil hat shirts. So, yeah, you can go grab the Lizard People shirts, the Eddie Bravo shirts. They're all there. Go to tinfoilhatpodcast.com. Hit the store. All the shirts are available. We have those in uh, black, red, and green. So grab those. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, also, go to the Patreon. The Patreon is killing it. Conspiracies Now is a hit. The people love it. My weird talk show in the basement of the comedy store. Everyone's really enjoying it. Tomorrow, I have a very cool, two cool guests. It's a big day. It's the first time I have black people on my show, and I'm proud to announce that. It's the (laughs) Block the Shop podcast. We'll be on the show. Super excited. It's going to be a great show. It's just a loosey-goosey. And if you're in the LA area and you want to come see it, it's five bucks in the basement. It's about 15 people can fit in there, and we have a fun show. So come that. It is Wednesday night at 11 p.m. at the Comedy Store. Tomorrow night, Tuesday Tomorrow night, which you're listening to this, yeah, we'll come out tomorrow night. It is the Comedy Chaos Show. It is a packed lineup. Joe Rogan, Jeffrey Ross, Jerry D, uh, Preacher Lawson, Eddie Bravo, myself. That's show one. Show two is uh, we're going back to back. We got Joe Rogan again, Brian Callen, Tony Hinchcliffe, uh, Ian Edwards, Brian Redband, Josh Wolf. And Eddie Bravo, again, those tickets, those are only $25. Go to thecomedystore.com, grab those shirts. And then this weekend, I am at Edmonton. I'm going straight international, going to uh, uh, Edmonton at the one of my favorite clubs. I recorded one of my favorite albums I've ever done. It was there was Believe in Yourself. It's the comic strip in the Edmonton Mall. I love it. Come get weird. I'm so excited to go back to the mall. Canadians get it right. They got health care and they have gunshot. Here's what I love about Canada. They'll have a, a, a gun range and an adult bookstore in the mall next to the food court. Yeah, so you can get like, before you kill anyone. You can get like pizza and, and a butt plug all in one thing. So that's why Canada gets it. Uh, did I miss anything? Oh, bets. 
Oh, yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at BetDSI. BetDSI, for all your betting needs, the Super Bowl's coming up. They got the prop bets. NBA's heating up. Is AD going to come to the Lakers? All that. I am working on conspiracy political bets. Trust me on that. That's coming out. I'm working with them. Go to that. It's uh, BetDSI. Use the promo code HAT100, and they will match any deposit you put in up to $500. And we're very thankful because this show's got a lot of great stuff going on, whether it's the new website or I'm working on just a, 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 a place where we could do like bonus stuff in the studio. So I'm working on all that for the show. So thanks to our sponsors. That's what happened. So I wanted to get, give you that. And uh, we're super excited about that. Um, really quick, coming to, uh, very excited to have our first guest on. He's one of my, uh, I, I, man, I've been wanting to get this guy. When I started this show, this was the guy who's like, if I had a Mount Rushmore of people I wanted to get on, this would be the guy I wanted to have on. Oh, real quick before I bring him in. Uh, the New Jersey date has been moved to February 16th. Oh, March 16th March. in New Jersey. If you had tickets to the first show, it is, you got tickets to the first show here. We've had a second show, and guess who I'm bringing? XG's coming out to New Jersey, so come get that. Those tickets are available at samtripoli.com. All my, all my tickets, all my shows, go to samtripoli.com. Back to our guest. I'm super excited about having this guy on. Um, this guy is the real deal when it comes to reporting. When you think of what news, when I grew up on news reporting, I grew up on watching these guys go in there and report what was really going on. At least that's what perceived to me. And this guy's really doing, I think he's also in kind of from the same cloth as a Abby Martin and all them who like really give you the, what's really going on. It's not conspiracy. It's unreported news. He puts out some of the best stuff. That you'll ever see, and it's really well done, and uh, it's a real honor to have him on uh, from Reality Check with Ben Swan. Please welcome Ben Swan, everybody. Ben, how are you? Good, look at that I'm good-looking doing great, guy. Ben. Thanks for having me on. Look at that. That was a very, by the way, extremely kind uh, introduction. I'm not sure I can live up to it, but it was very kind of you. Oh, dude, I, I love what you do, man. I think your uh, your show is amazing, and I want to get into, like, I've seen you on a lot of stuff. You've seen them on RT News, CBS, The First 48. Did you know you were on The First 48? I did. I did. I was watching it. I'm like, damn, that looks like Ben Swan. It's like Ben Swan. And he's on this new episode where it's like they found a hot chick got murdered. So instead of making it one episode, it's an entire series. And uh, it's this smoking hot Instagram model. You've done a lot of work for a lot of places. Why did you get into reporting? Because... What we see now in these news reporters, whether it's MSNBC and all that, it almost seems like they're just mannequins who are reading talking points given to them by higher up. There's no real investigations. You seem to be Mm -hmm. one of those really people who really going back to the old school way of investigating. Why did you get into news reporting? So so the bad news is I got into it for the same reason that all those talking head mannequins (laughs) get into it. I needed a job. Uh, I actually uh, was a news photographer. That's how I started out um, and, and started doing that. I got married when I was 20 years old um, and had my first daughter and then my second daughter by the time I was 22. And I just needed to make more money. So I went to my boss and said, hey, I, I need to get from behind the camera to in front of the camera. And that was the reason I got into it in the first place. Uh, I spent the first six or seven years of my career really not doing anything noteworthy at all, just basically being a, a, you know, a TV host type. 
that's kind of how I got started. Um, and, and my epiphany, you know, really came to me about 2006, 2007. I was working in Mexico on the, the border. I grew up in El Paso. That's where my first job was. And I would go over every day when the drug war heated up in Mexico and I started covering it really heavily and saw the fact that the national media would come down and cover what was happening with the drug war and just weren't honest about it. And I would contact them and say, listen, I'm, I'm there every day. Uh, I would go over in the mornings, I cover it in the mornings, I drive back and anchor the news at, in, in El Paso in the evenings and said, there's a whole lot here that you guys aren't getting right and they just weren't interested. And it was the first time I realized they had an agenda, they had a narrative that they wanted to put out and they didn't care what the facts were. And that was kind of when I first started waking up. And is that when reality check started? Because I know it's your series now on YouTube and it's a wonderful series. Can you bring his YouTube channel up real quick so everybody can see it? If you're not subscribed to it, please check it out. Uh, he puts out wonderful information that is very easy to take to your friends who don't believe in anything or believe in what you're saying that's alternative to what uh, the mainstream media is saying. It's a wonderful way to give you a little, quick little boom, sound bites here and there, and uh, di uh, digestible information. Uh, is, is that where Reality Check came from? That's need to like go, hey, dude, I really want to put out what's really going on. No, actually, um, so, so we were in El Paso. I was, I was working, going across the border every day. I did it for about two and a half years. And then my wife just got tired of it and said, you're going to get yourself killed. Uh, we actually got chased a couple times uh, when we were over there. That's a, another story. But um, she was like, we need to leave here. And I had an offer to go to the Fox station in Cincinnati, which was like the most boring city in the world. And we went there. And I was like, I can't believe that I went from the city covering the city that was the most dangerous in the world at the time, more dangerous than Baghdad at the time. Um, going over to Cincinnati to cover um, house fires and city council races, and it was so boring. <laughs> but it just so happened that when I got there, um, it was you know the end of 2010, beginning of 2011, and of course Ohio is the swing state of swing states, and uh, the presidential election, everything goes through there. And so my new bosses, when I got there, said, hey, we want to want to put you on what they call a franchise in, in TV. And they said, you have a couple of choices. One of them is something called Pothole Patrol. I'm not kidding. This is what they call it, <laughs> Pothole Patrol. They said, you can cover that. Uh, or we have this other thing that another station in Minneapolis does. It's called Reality Check. And basically, you're just kind of fact-checking politicians and what's true and what's not. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And I uh, picked it up. And the first few episodes we did probably were not very – uh, memorable, and then as the as the presidential election started to come through, began to really cover how corrupt, and, and it really came back to a guy named Ron Paul, right? I, I did a piece called "What's So Wrong with Ron Paul." I actually covered every single <laughs> guy who was running for president, man and woman, running for president that year on the Republican side, um, and I think there were like fifteen of them. Yeah. And the last one I did was Ron Paul, and I mentioned him on air. And the next day, I had 900, I remember I had 999 Facebook fans at the time because I had um, done a, th a thing about Herman Cain and his 999 plan. <laughs> and uh, the next day I woke up and I had 6,000 fans on Facebook. And there were all these people, these crazy Ron Paul people who were like, we can't believe somebody talked about Ron Paul. And I don't, I'm like, I don't know why, the guy's running for president. And they said, no, no, the media blocks him out, they won't talk about this stuff. And the reason they won't is because of the things he says. Well, I started looking at the things Ron Paul was saying. What's, what's so crazy about him? Uh, it turns out it wasn't that he was crazy. It was that he would talk about things that, that didn't fit with the establishment, either yeah. political establishment or media establishment. So I just started saying, well, let's look at some of the things he says. And it didn't become a Ron Paul thing. It just became a, let's talk about what's really going on with the war on terror. Let's, let's talk about what's going on in these places. I was a neocon, by the way, for a very long time. I had that neocon mentality. And uh, that was my political awakening was in that process. I credit Ron Paul with 
with my political awakening of, of seeing how fake that left-right paradigm is in politics and media. I love it. We, yeah. we grew Reality Check out of that, and it just it took off from there. It absolutely blew up. It was being watched in 140 countries around the world. People in, in Turkey and Afghanistan and, and uh, you know the Philippines and Australia were, were, were emailing me at a station in Cincinnati, Ohio, saying, we can't believe you're talking about this stuff on TV. It was, it was fantastic. No, you've definitely, and that's how I learned about you. You know, uh, I've always been in conspiracy theories, you know, or I like to call unrelated, uh, unreported news. That's really what I'm going to call it right now. Conspiracy theories, it becomes like this weird cuckoo, you're a crazy person thing, but the unreported news. And where I learned about you, Ben, was you were a big moment in like, that what was called pizza gay at the time, but now it's pedo gate. And you were the first one in like with a CBS logo on the story talking about this really big thing. And, and what happened was you put it out every, again, what people were talking about you with the Ron Paul, people were like, Oh my God, somebody on CBS is talking about pizza gay. And the, the story blew up and then you disappeared. And that's when everybody got really scared to like what happened to Ben Swan and we didn't hear you for a while so when you got to your 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 YouTube uh channel everybody was so excited because one you were still alive we were very happy about that <laughs> and two you were continuing your work what first of all what made you do the Pizzagate story and then what the fuck happened to you after that dude so so the Pizzagate story um uh, even to this day, right? So when people talk about it, they, they misrepresent the story. So as a journalist, what I've always tried to do, and, and you know, before Pizzagate, it was covering you know, what's going on in the war in Syria and Yemen and foreign policy. And so what I've tried to make my career out of, what I've really tried to focus on is, is breaking away from that mainstream narrative that is so often untrue, right? It's, it's so often they, they obscure the facts and they, and they change um, what's actually being said and try to twist it into something kind of you know, weird and uh, you know, hard to follow. I think the best way to, t- to call it is disinformation. Yeah. There's a lot of disinformation in mainstream media, just like there is on the internet. And so with Pizzagate, that was a story I had been asked to do by a lot of people. I didn't touch it for a long time because, you know, I mean, it, this is an internet story and, and uh, you know, what are the facts around it? And then you had the guy who walked into the pizza parlor, the Comet Pizza Place with a gun, and every news station in the country did the story, right? So I wasn't the first person to talk about Pizzagate. CNN did it. Fox did it. ABC, CBS, everybody did it. The problem was that they misrepresented what was what the story actually was, and they began calling it a whole series of things, right? They were saying, oh, it's this theory that, that Hillary Clinton keeps children chained inside the basement of a pizza parlor, and I'm like, well, because people had been asking me to do the story, I had started researching it. That's not what it is. That's not what the story was. The story came out of the, the leak and the hack of John Podesta's emails and things he was saying in the emails. That's where the story came from. So my story was just trying to bring clarity to the fact that there was this guy who was uh, essentially um, you know, arrested at this pizza place, and the media all covered it, but they didn't accurately – tell the story. They turned it into something else. So I was just trying to say, well, here's the story. People are asking me to cover it. So here's what it is. And I, and I drew no conclusions. If you've seen the story and it sounds like yeah, you have, yeah, there's course. no conclusions drawn. Um, it's just saying, this is what the story is. And the only thing that we pointed out at the end was that there had been no police investigation into any of it. 
Um, and, and that was a fact. The FBI told us that and the Metro um, PD had told us that. But, you know, when you go around kicking hornet's nests, yeah. um, <laughs> sometimes yeah. uh, some of those have bigger hornets than others. And this was one that had some pretty big hornets in it. And uh, they, they essentially, you know, my, my bosses that I was working for at the time with CBS were like, you know, we're shutting down all your social. You're, you're off social. Um, you know, my Facebook which was the largest Facebook page of any journalist in America uh, for a local TV station taken down. Uh, we were growing at the time 11,000 people a day signing wow. up for that. Um, we had, you know, 110 million video views that, that year um, on Facebook video. I mean, we were killing it. And yet they said, it's gone. Take it all down. And so I did. For one year, we just shut it all off, um, turned it all down, then just said, we got to figure out what we're going to do. If we're going to be independent, how is it going to happen? Had Did no you idea continue to, to work there? Did you continue to work at CBS or were they like, yep. no, you're, you're out? No, no. They said this was the deal. Was, so if, if you want to stay, um, you got to shut the stuff down. And so I said, okay, wow. I'll stay and I'll shut the stuff down. Not in a position to, to – because the problem was this, and I've, and I've tried to do the independent thing before, is you know, how do you make this work financially? to be independent because it's, it's expensive. Um, doing independent journalism is expensive, doing quality stuff. Um, I mean, you gotta be able to pay for it somehow. And, and so we just wasn't in a position. So the, okay, so we shut it all down. It was actually down for one full year. Um, and then was a, I was approached by some of the guys who work with a cryptocurrency called Dash who said, hey, you know, we, we have a treasury and we fund stuff and you should put in a proposal to bring your stuff back. So we did. And we actually ended up uh, getting approved to do it and went independent because of cryptocurrency. And we used that to be able to break away. I was able to go in and tell my bosses, OK, time's up. I mean, the, the funny thing is and a lot of people don't realize this either. I actually had. Uh, I broke no rules, no editorial rules in our newsroom to do that story, that pizza game yep. story. Yep. Um, and actually had in my contract to be able to do all the things I was doing. I, I contractually had the right to do it, but they broke all of it. So Yeah, and it's very interesting because Pizzagate was the first time I ever saw mainstream media run a story to disprove a sexual uh, allegation. I've never seen that. Like yes. when uh, 60 Minutes did a giant story on, uh, you know, about Pizzagate saying it's not true. I'm like, I've never seen this before. Usually either they don't touch it or they just run with that this guy's guilty and then on page 17 come out that oh we we were wrong we're sorry they never run with the like the fever of accusations i've never seen them come out now you did a story on um nexium and the connections of that well, what was your thoughts on nexium and where's that at because what we're seeing is almost the same thing where they the media has to cover it because it's such a big story. But what they're presenting isn't necessarily misinformation, but it's not the complete information, which is uh, Allison Mack being charged not just with sex trafficking, but literally in the indictment, child sex trafficking. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts on that whole situation? Well, I, I think, look, you're making a good point that um, so, so there is one particular um, area, right, where mainstream media, not only do they not, as you said, they don't, they don't cover the story. And when they do mention it, they mention it in a very different way than they do just about anything else. I, I don't want to go off on a trail here, but right. if you consider how much media has, has tried desperately to connect dots between the Trump campaign and Russia and, and the lengths they go to, to say, we're going to prove something here, even when they haven't been able to find anything. And yet take, 
away from that, if you look at what's happening with this idea of, of child sex trafficking um, and powerful and rich and elite people in this country um, and influential people and Hollywood people and the fact that it, no one will connect those dots. They don't just connect, not connect those dots. They erase the connections between the dots as much as possible. They, they just don't do it. So, you know, the Alice and Max story is a great example of here's somebody who has influence in Hollywood, who's connected in Hollywood. And as you said, who is who is recruiting um, children into this this child sex cult. Yeah. They run away from that story. They don't want to talk about that. You got Jeffrey Epstein, a billionaire down in down in Florida who not only pleaded guilty to, um, you know, having sex with an underage girl, but now we know had sex with dozens if yep. not hundreds of these girls yep. and yet the media runs away from that story but why wouldn't they after he pleaded guilty you know he's having parties in new york and people like george stephanopoulos and anderson cooper are going to these big parties in new york that he's throwing so it's a lot of it's you know the, the connections to these these wealthy and powerful and elite people and who they're connected to and it's the one story everyone runs away from it's so interesting i mean first of all why would uh, Alison Mack sold her soul for a role on the CW. I mean, I would only do it for like yeah. a network television show. If like if the devil wanted my soul, I'd have to be on like America's Got Talent or something like that. Well, well, something. well in court, they uh, they laughed when they said that their it was going to be delayed till March. <laughs> they were laughing in court when dude. I like, mean, they're it's fucking so, psycho. I mean, it's so connected. I want to because we're going to get into the Russian stuff and the election. But I want because you brought up a real uh, a, a really important point about the silencing of independent journalism. Uh, just yesterday, or it was the day before, YouTube comes out with this statement that they're going to start blacklisting uh, YouTube videos, stop uh, uh, recommending quote unquote conspiracy videos, which was this was brought on by a. BuzzFeed article in which it said YouTube recommended all these conspiracy videos, which is hilarious because BuzzFeed just got busted pushing a now debunked conspiracy that Trump told Cohen to lie, which caused the mainstream media to scramble to cover their asses because they've been pushing a now debunked conspiracy, which was Russian collusion. Now we're seeing all these this move to right around the as we ramp up for the two, to the 2020 elections this move to silence uh, uh uh you know independent journalism under the guise of oh it's conspiracy theory and misinformation as someone who went through that what's your thoughts about what's going on with YouTube right now so so it's a little bit uh a little bit deeper than that so um the idea that YouTube recommends these videos, right, and that's how they've grown, comes back to uh, a realization that a couple different groups, the Atlantic Council um, and Media Matters for America, I know Media Matters for America, there's been um, uh, some documents that have been um, leaked from them that show that after the 2016 election, they spent a lot of time and money trying to figure out why mainstream media was so ineffective in pushing out the messaging. And what they found, um, according to their studies, and this, is, this was in a document that was sent to donors, as Media Matters for America was trying to raise about $40 million. And what they said was that uh, the Facebook viewers and users um, were no longer looking at mainstream and that the YouTube users were all um, communicating with each other 
and sharing information with each other that was outside of their control. Oh my and so God. The, the, the feeling was we have to find a way to get control of these entities, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, et cetera. And so how do we do that? And there's, it's, there has been a, a multi-step process um, that these groups have been in to, to get control of this. And so this latest one is, is just the latest in a series of steps that tech companies have been taking at the direction of groups like Media Matters and the Atlantic Council to say, here's how we're going to control who's on there. Facebook started purging accounts and removing anybody who's not establishment. We've all seen that happen. Um, and, and YouTube has been you know, removing accounts as well. But one of the things they found was that um, because of the algorithms, the algorithms are just saying, hey, if you're interested in this content, then you're going to be interested in this. So if you, you're interested in what Sam is saying, you're gonna be interested in what Joe Rogan's saying, right? Uh, on a similar subject. And the algorithm isn't forcing people to watch. The algorithm obviously works, right? Because what's happened is people now suddenly say, oh, I wanna watch this one, I wanna watch, and, and they're being fed what they wanna see. And so what these groups figured out was that they would have to find a way to be able to change the algorithm to deny you the ability to continue to watch what you're interested in. Now think about that. Yeah, it's what so What YouTube is saying is we are going to change our algorithms to prevent you from finding what you're looking for if it's not in agreement with the narrative we want you to believe. And it's unbelievable. You did a great video in which you talked about how uh, Facebook has made a deal with the U.S. government in which if they have sanctions against a country uh, or Instagram also, because Facebook owns it, they would, can be deplatformed uh, right. to, to the point where it's like almost cost Facebook $120 billion in stock revenue. Uh, your thought, I mean, is that a real thing, man? Is like, is it really like if you, if you get tariffs or you get a trade embargo, you can get wiped off of Facebook? Yeah, absolutely you can, but it's, it's deeper than that, right? It's, it's Facebook is setting up rules that essentially say, um, we are not a public place. So they're, they're trying to make that very clear. We're not a public place. Uh, we are a, Jeff, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, sorry, said, sat there in front of Congress and said, we are a media company, which by the way, completely opened up Facebook to liability. Um, for anything anybody puts on Facebook because he changed the, the, the status of Facebook at that moment from being a platform where anyone can upload to it and then and, and disseminate information for which Facebook is not liable under the law to say, no, we are a media company. Everything coming to us, we're disseminating it. We have control over it. We have authority over it. And, and the distinction there, what's happened is, is that now Facebook is essentially saying, so if you are from a country that we don't agree with, we'll take and we'll listen to the U.S. government. When they tell us to take down your page, we'll take it down. Um, you're not allowed to have a, a Facebook page if the U.S. government says you can't have one. We have to go along with that. They don't have to go along with that. That's nonsense. Um, there's no law that says that if, if you're the dictator of a country that has sanctions against it, you can't have a Facebook page. Yeah, that's that's so nonsense. Much. But the idea that you – see, you see, the lie that's being pushed on everyone right now is this lie that the greatest threat to democracy, the greatest threat to freedom in the world today is bad information, is fake news, or are these lies that are spread? Well, the truth is we're being lied to all day long, as you pointed out, by BuzzFeed and CNN and Fox News. They're lying to us every single day. We all know that. The problem is, is that 
because the folks know that, because the, the average person knows that, they are more trusting instead of anybody who's on this anti-establishment you know, side of the fence. And so those voices now have to be silenced. 2018 has been an, was an incredible year. 2019 is going to be an incredible year to watch the, the purge, continued purge, of anybody who is not pushing that establishment narrative. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I, you know, you did, you've put out some great information. Uh, one of the things that you had talked about was uh, what is what is uh, the Israel's? I, I've been reading all these articles about Israel and how they are basically, you know, monitoring the internet. They're going through Wikipedia. They're they're uh, editing Wikipedia's now. They're getting fa- uh, Facebook pages deleted. It, is Israel have a hand in a lot of this stuff? Well, Israel does have a hand in, in a lot of it because we know if you look at the the, the information that is available publicly um, that there were uh, and I, I don't have the number right in front of me, but there were something like 300 different requests made by the nation of Israel by the Israeli government to Facebook, for instance, um, to remove posts or pages that they believed were considered anti-Semitic, which we'll talk about that in a second, um, anti-Semitic, and therefore Facebook complied with it, went along with it, said, yeah, yeah, we're going to take these down. If you look at the number of pages um, on Facebook that that deal with Palestinian freedom, Palestinian movement, um, Palestinian rights, um, those pages get censored on a regular basis, and any pages about Israel do not. Now, Understand this, there is a a very powerful lobby in America that pushes for Israel across the board, right? But the problem is is, is when they deem anything that is anti-Israeli governmental policy as being equal to anti-Semitic, and that is not an honest or fair comparison. You are not anti-Semitic if you say, I think the Israeli government is, is... warmongering or is cruel to the people who are living in Palestine, or I believe that I I just disagree with their policy decisions. The idea that that is anti-Jewish or anti-Jewish people or equated to Nazism is nonsense. I couldn't agree more. We say that all the time on the show. I mean, my girlfriend, 15 years, Jewish, her family, Jewish. I have to say it all the time because people are just going to come out and try to call you anti-Semitism. It's like, no, I'm having a problem with a government's policies. You may try to conflate that these two things are the same. They are not. Now, I want to talk about real quick uh, Facebook on whether it is an actual company. You kind of brought that up. They, They were supposed to be social media. Now they're saying press. But are they even that? I mean, when they talk about they're a private company, there's a real argument that they are not. That, in fact, they got seed money from uh, businesses that were fronts for CIA. I mean, we all, uh, you know about LifeLog, the Pentagon program, program that was stopped on February 4th, 2004, okay? And then a ma- magically, February 4th, 2004, Facebook was invented. Uh, that's very weird that they just happened to coincide at the exact same moment. So the question is, can they claim to be a private company when they're publicly traded and they were started with seed money from U.S. tax dollars? So, I mean, I think you're raising an a, a important um, legal question. Um, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people argue that, look, if you, you're a publicly traded company, you're really not a private company. So you, you can't um, behave as if, you know, one person owns this thing and they can do with it as they like. Um, having said that, 
We also live in a country right now where a guy who owns a bakery can't just do whatever he likes, right? We've already established that through the court system, that you don't even have um, a unilateral position even if you own fully a company and it's not publicly traded. You still have um, certain expectations that are on you. Having said that, um, look, you're never going to get very far arguing that Facebook has to be better um, in terms of allowing free speech, promoting free speech, or giving people equal time, because our government does not believe in that. We do not, they do not believe that the average person um, should be allowed to hear what is honest and, and forthright. They think um, a controlled message is very important. We have an incredibly corrupt government system and an incredibly corrupt deep state system that is constantly working to manipulate and propagandize. You guys know that, your audience knows that. The problem is, is that what is the alternative? So what, what Facebook and YouTube have done is, is for years we've been talking about independent media and trying to build a platform for independent media. Um, and honestly, for the last few years, most people who have looked at it have said it's unnecessary. And we're like, okay, you know, because Facebook is out there and yeah, it's very effective and YouTube's very effective. What Facebook and YouTube are doing is they are actually creating within the market uh, a, an actual opportunity for a, a new platform and other platforms to be created where free speech can actually exist. And, and again, using blockchain technology, I think you can do that in a pretty effective way. Uh, but, but that's all they're actually doing. You know, this idea that the tighter you, you put your grip on something, the tighter you squeeze, the more that slips through your hands. I think that's what is happening on, on the level of uh, big tech companies right now and these free speech issues. I couldn't agree more. I want to get in. You have some great videos that's covering basically what started out in the 2016 election and the FISA report uh, and, you know, talking about the censorship of media and stuff like that. Uh, in the 2016 election, what do you think the role of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange had in determining the outcome of that? Was it the emails put out detrimental to Hillary? I, I mean, obviously, of course, but do you think that was a big part of it or just a small part of it? So I think it was a big part. Um, I actually do, and here's why. Because I think what, what WikiLeaks did was it affirmed for a lot of people what they despise about the Clintons. Not just Hillary, but Bill Clinton as well. And Chelsea also, right? The whole Clinton cabal. Yeah. What, what they despise about them is this feeling of entitlement, this willingness to step on anybody around them, and an actual disdain for a lot of people. But what WikiLeaks did not do is they did not lie they did not create and forge documents. They did not pretend that something was being said that was never actually said. What they did was they got a hold of emails and they released them and said, these are her words. This is what she believes. This is how the Clinton Foundation operates. This is how Bernie Sanders is getting screwed. This is how they're getting questions from CNN moderators. This is how they're, they're gaming the, the system with journalists. And this is what they really think of you as the public. And I think the, the problem is that the media acts like getting into someone's emails is this great crime. Instead of admitting that it wasn't, the problem wasn't that they got into her emails. The problem was what she wrote in her emails. Couldn't agree the problem more. was the interactions she had had with people. And so the truth is, if the Russians were involved, which there's no evidence they were, all the Russians did was show us the truth about what Hillary Clinton thinks. If WikiLeaks is releasing this information, all they did was show us the truth about what the Clintons and their organizations thought about people. So... We have to keep in mind that whether you like it or don't like the fact the emails were released, 
none of none of what was in them was dishonest in in the releasing of them it was honestly what she thought how she felt and what she said it's why she did not become president because it reminded people oh yeah i can't stand this person um and it's why she won't win if she were to run again in 2020 she wouldn't even get the nomination because people would remember again all the things they can't stand about well she might try to hijack it again which is unbelievable like the getting mad at whatsapp on emails like if you came to me with a, a video of my girlfriend hooking up with somebody and me getting mad at you going, how'd you get that video? You know, not getting mad about what's in the video. Yes. It's like what girls do all the time when they, when they see their boyfriend cheating, they get mad at the girl. It's not the girl's fault. It's her dirty ass sleeve bag of a boyfriend. It's it's unbelievable. They're not, it's like, I don't know if it's just, I mean, like that's the problem with the DNC. I do believe that they are controlled opposition. I believe that they are meant to lose fights because most of your DNC are goldfish and they'd vote for a, 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 a stack of meat if the DNC told them to. It's the people on the, on the fringes that like watch Bernie Sanders and we could have a discussion about what Bernie Sanders is, get hijacked, you know, get his primary hijacked. If you can't win your primary, what chance do you have in the, in the, in, in the, the general, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and, and remember this, too, that, that the whole superdelegate system, which we were talking about long before uh, it, most other media was talking about it, the superdelegate system on the Democratic side is one of the most corrupt things in all of politics. Where you create a system where you say, oh, yeah, we're going to let delegates decide, but we're going to create enough superdelegates that they're actually going to decide. Well, who are these people? Oh, they're like friends of the party, yeah. big donors. You Somebody's know, mom. Of the Clintons. Some guy's mom. you don't mom. have a shot. Yeah, it's ridiculous, dude. Now, I think we both know the answer. Your opinion, were the, uh, were the emails hacked or leaked? So this is, this is another thing that really drives me crazy. There it has been reporting done. There are documents that show that the information that was taken from the computers, from the DNC headquarters, um, was removed from those computers in a way um, that was too fast to be uploaded online and that it had to have been done through a flash drive because of the the speed at which it was removed. That's that's an actual government report that says that. Um, And I I believe it's a Homeland Security report. But it shows that the, the removal of those documents had to have happened from someone inside the building who did it, not a hacker who did it online. That is that is the information I've seen. It is rarely talked about. It's almost never discussed uh, because there is a narrative that says, oh, these things were just, they were just hacked. They were just taken uh, online and it was done by the Russians and WikiLeaks, which again, there's no evidence of. Have you seen any single piece of evidence that the Russians hacked into the computers? Well, you know who I know who hasn't seen it is the FBI for sure, because they never got <laughs> to look at the servers, right? Because it was Fusion right. GPS, which was ran by Mueller's uh, internet tech guy that he who ran his who ran the FBI's internet uh, crime division of when Mueller was in charge of the FBI. So that was his boy. So when they go, don't check it. No, they never looked at it. It was never investigated. So the FBI putting out any kind of information doesn't even make any sense. But I loved, I watched a couple of your videos and you had some really great information on just the whole, like the Russian collusion, which comes from the FISA warrants. Before we get into the specifics of it, why is the mainstream media pushing this narrative that poll after poll, and I don't even believe polls, but poll after poll says <laughs> nobody cares about Russian collusion. 
Why do they keep right. pushing this? So I think, it is, so, you know, again, I sound, I sound like this conspiracy guy, right? But I think, again, there's a, there's a deeper issue You're here. amongst um, friends. And it's much deeper than the 2016 election. The idea that they are only pushing this because they can't deal with the fact that Clinton wasn't a palatable candidate, uh, which some, you know, especially on the conservative side, a lot of conservatives say that. I don't think, even think that's true. I actually think there's a, a deeper issue here of the, the military-industrial complex and the neocon and the neoliberal factions in Washington, which basically run Washington, um, are ramping up this new Cold War idea. There is a lot of money being made right now by organizations that are trying to help to resist Russia and, and hold back Russian propaganda. And I think what they're really wow, doing is they're recognizing there are some, some um, deep levels of insecurity military-wise and deep levels of, of uh, insecurity monetary-wise uh, where BRICS nations have come along, Brazil, China, Russia, India, and South Africa, uh, setting up funds to say, let's get other countries off U.S. foreign aid because the U.S. has too much influence in those countries. Let's set up banking so that other countries don't, don't wow. rely on the West and don't rely on the U.S. I think that's a much bigger issue there. And if you look at like HBO, MSNBC, CNN, when you go up the chain of ownership and you go past the original, you go even past that. They're owned by the people who make money in war. So they can't right. really attack Trump because Trump has been great for war. You know, even when he said he was going to pull out Syria, it was only like a couple troops, not the whole thing. The funding of ISIS, the arming of ISIS. You know, these people pay John Oliver's check, uh, you know, Bill Maher's check, Rachel Maddow's check. So to go after Trump on that would be going after their boss who signs their checks. So the one thing they can go off is this fake narrative that was made up probably for the purpose of this to go after Trump on something that won't cause their bosses uh, any kind of bottom line in the long run. Well, and it also, but it also increases military spending. So if yeah. you're making your money off of war, what do you want? You want to ramp up the number of missiles being created. You want to ramp up the number of drones. You want to say, hey, look, there's a military power that's very different than the Middle East. We, we've got to invest more and more and more money. And as you said, Trump's been very good for that. But the other th important point is not one single mainstream media organization in America has ever criticized Trump for any military action he's taken, but they have heavily criticized him every time he says he's going to lessen or lower military intervention. He gets crucified for it. It's unbelievable. The, these blue check, these blue check mark <laughs> dummies, they're just like, yep. okay, I like Trump, but good job of Venezuela, you know? And then you got the whole yes. thing where, like, Marcon, is that his name from France, who literally going, I support the Venezuelan people uprising. Why his own country is trying to grab him and hang him from a tree? It is the most interesting, mind-blowing skull fuck I've ever seen in my life. Like, how can you do that when your own people are, 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 are rising up against you? Now, you did some great reporting on the FISA report. I, I, this is the thing that drives me nuts when people just don't understand what actually happened to get this where we are with Russian collusion. So the FISA yeah. report. Um, let's get into that. Well, can you let our listeners know what the FISA court is? Sure. So the FISA court is essentially a secret court that is set up in order to okay surveillance of people outside 
the United States. It's not supposed to be used um, to allow for surveillance of any U.S. citizen or any American citizen, either on U.S. soil or even U.S. citizens overseas. And they're only supposed to be set up to, to allow for um, w essentially warrantless surveillance of people overseas. That's what the FISA court is supposed to do. And so in order to get a warrant to be able to uh, go and, and you know surveil these different groups, you go to the court and you tell them, here's the things we're looking at and here's you know why we think that we have this right. And they approve um, you're spying, essentially. And, and their record for approval is what? Like 99%, 95%? Like how Yeah, often? it's in the 90th percentile. It's almost never denied. I think only 3%, I think, I think that's right, only 3% of all Pfizer application requests are not granted. And in those cases, it would be like a, there's absolutely no evidence of anything being done at all. So let's get into this, uh, the, the basically what, you uncovered and what I'm hearing in, in, in the media, I mean, on the Internet about what actually happened with this this Russian dossier dozer. What's a dossier and dossier, like, yeah. dossier like can you tell I was talking about this a long time ago. Like, can you tell us uh, who is Carter Page? Right. So Carter Page was a very low level um, Trump advisor on foreign policy. I mean, this is a guy who is not having any major impacts on anything. Um, he and, you know, a couple of other of these low-level guys have been the, kind of the center of the Mueller investigation so far. But in Carter Page's case, um, he had traveled overseas, I believe, and I don't have my notes in front of me, so I apologize for that, but he had traveled overseas, and at some point, the FBI decided that he was uh, potentially a threat to be colluding with the Russians and working with them on on foreign policy issues. Um, and part of what they did was they, they essentially went to the FISA court and said, we believe there's collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. And what they did was they essentially said, uh, we have this dossier, right, uh, that's being reported on in the media. And so we want to use this as evidence. It's, Buzz it's one of these feed again. Uh, circles Buzz feed. Where, where there's this dossier that's created, right, by a guy who works with MI6 uh, named Christopher Steele. And he's this uh, basically, a, you know, a, a mudslinger for hire. This guy goes around digging up dirt on people. And he creates this dossier, which is a, a nonsensical account of of Trump working with the Russians and he's with Russian prostitutes and like all this crazy stuff. Like he has pro Russian prostitutes peeing on a picture of <laughs> Obama in, in a hotel room. It's like crazy stuff that's in the dossier. <laughs> None of it's been proven, right? No evidence of any of the stuff has been proven. He, he compiles this dossier. Actually, he, he compiled it um, at the request of Fusion GPS, you mentioned their name a little bit ago, who works with the Clintons and with the Clinton Foundation. So he begins to compile this, and then eventually um, the Clinton campaign pays Fusion GPS, who pays this guy to create this dossier. He, they take the dossier. There's no evidence of, of any truth in it at all. They give it to um, the MI6 guys in England, in Britain, who look at it, and then they take it, and they should, according to protocol— actually take this thing to the head of, I believe it's the NSA here, uh, because that's their direct relation in, in the UK. Um, right. I guess they have this uh, organization, it's called, it's called the Five Eyes, and yes, it's the US yes. and the UK. And Where basically what that right? is, is that they all agree to spy on each other's 
uh, population so they don't violate any kind of privacy code. So the U.S. would spy on Britain. Britain would spy on New Zealand. Australia would spy on America. And that way there's no uh, violation of privacy right there. Right. And so in the five eyes, you have a different head from different departments who would who would deal directly with each other. And in this case, the the the, the British um, you know, head is supposed to come over, and I believe it's the NSA that he's supposed to meet with, and so he should have been meeting with, with the head of the NSA, but he didn't. Instead, he went to the head of the CIA, who at the time was, was John Brennan, and he brought him the dossier, shared it with him. Brennan took that dossier and then shared it within agencies here in the U.S., saying, we have this this dossier, and you know, we're not sure the credibility or validity to it, but you need to be aware. And shared this completely ridiculous document um, within the department. Then that dossier was taken and distributed to media outlets, including BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed takes this dossier and publishes it. Again, there's no evidence that anything in it's true. But they publish these, these insane claims that are being made. Meanwhile, we have the, the, the feds, the FBI, now going to the FISA court and saying we need a warrant on some of the Trump associates, including this guy named Carter Page, because he traveled overseas and we believe he might be working with the Russians. So we need to be able to get warrants on his, uh, his cell phone, on his personal phone, on his office lines, like all these things, right? We're going to need to track him wherever he goes. And they use the Trump dossier as a report coming through BuzzFeed, right, the media is reporting on this, this document using that as their reason that they needed this FISA warrant except, and did not bother to mention to the FISA court, oh, by the way, we're the ones who gave it to BuzzFeed yeah. and didn't mention to the FISA court, oh, and by the way, um, it was paid for by the Clinton campaign. Didn't include any of that information. Uh, and then they got their FISA warrant on, on Carter Page. Uh, I just, you know, I found this uh, young lady put out a really interesting uh, Twitter feed and she was talking about that Carter Page most, there's a chance Carter Page was a uh, paid FBI undercover employee. So he's planted on there, which we've seen, we saw with the Bernie Sanders campaign when uh, the DNC gave them, uh, had this guy work on Bernie Sanders campaign and then Bernie Sanders got in trouble for uh, stealing data from the DNC and they were going to cut off all the data. You can't get any more data. And then Bernie was like, you told me to hire that guy. He's the one that did it. So they got caught on that. Now you brought up something very interesting. So we have Carter Page being planted on Trump, most likely, to get the Pfizer report. Then you bring up a guy who's an old spook from way back in the day, uh, Stefan Helper, who was involved in the spying on Jimmy Carter for uh, war criminal George H.W., who's on there, who, according to you, and I, mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I read it, if, mm-hmm. I, if I heard correctly, was the one who basically set these Russian meetings up for the Trump people. Am I correct on that, or did I get that wrong? So, so, so Halper, I believe... <sighs> I don't have it in front of me, uh, so I apologize. It's been a few months since we did this report, uh, but Halpert um, can, was connected to Page, and I believe he was also connected to George Papadopoulos. Yes. Is that right? Do you yes. remember that? Yes. And so, so he was advising them on information that the Russians might have. I don't even know if, the, if he had direct contact with anyone who was Russian himself, but but talk to them about the potential uh, for a contact who might have this information, and then 
But yes, you're absolutely right. Worked for the CIA in D.C. for years and back in the 80s, and that's the most important part of the story. Back in the 80s, this guy was actually working to set up Jimmy Carter's campaign by George H.W. Bush when he was running the CIA yep. and during yep. the, and he worked for the, the Reagan campaign to set up Jimmy Carter. And now he was doing the same thing here and living in – and by the way, again, living in – Britain at the time, living in England at the time, there are a lot of um, connections. We're actually working on a piece on this right now. There are a lot of really strange connections between people who are in the UK who actually kicked off this whole dossier thing. It looks like, from what we've been finding, that there is um, the whole dossier thing, the whole Trump-Russia collusion actually began with uh, a group in the UK and who they were the ones who passed everything to the CIA and it all actually started over there. So if you want to talk about foreign interference For in an election, sure. that's actually the foreign interference. And there, uh, there is a, a the Britain, British government has also begged Trump not to release any of these FISA documents because they don't want the US government, US population known that they might have had a role in spying on a U.S. president. Now, my question to you is, did they spy on Trump after he was elected in hopes of unseating him? And would you say that this could be bigger than Watergate? Oh, I think I think it's definitely bigger than Watergate. The funny thing is the media talks about it like the Watergate is the Trump-Russia collusion. It's not. The Watergate is the deep state. And, and the, look, so, you know, the whole concept of these conspiracy theorists for decades has been there are these crazy since we're on the tinfoil hat podcast go for tinfoil <laughs> hat people right <laughs> who go around thinking that there's all these government agencies and and you know these uh helicopters flying around and and governments listening to all their conversations and watching everything they do and then we found out in 2013 actually they are listening to all of your conversations and they are watching everything you do yeah. and now in in 2016 27 2018 what we found is there really is this deep state shadow government that has been operating for decades, uh, and we see them now. They have actually been revealed in the process of trying to unseat Trump in, in order to take down Trump. They've actually revealed themselves. I think the mistake that Trump has been making is not releasing as many documents as possible. I'm sure he has Why bad has advisors he? Why? who are protecting oh, against yeah. that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's whack-a-mole. Like, I, listen, we could all hate Trump, and on this show, there's a lot of listeners who love Trump, and I— Listen, I don't trust anybody in that position. You know, I've said here before, you put Santa Claus in the role of president, he'll be a war criminal in two weeks, okay? <laughs> it's just the way it is. Uh, it's absolutely true. But yep. it does not mean that what this is, what happened to Trump is acceptable just because you don't like it. It's a golden rule to rule them all, not just the people that you like or you don't like, man. This is a this is an attempt by, once again, Hillary Clinton to subvert a, a fucking system. She, where does she want to be shadow president? Like, how crazy do you have to be to want to be shadow president? president now I, this involves obama too and i want to get into this i want to move into another thing which is libya obama hillary what role do they have in the assassination of Muammar Gaddafi and open slave trades in libya i mean we just nobody's talking about this and we hear about slavery in this country for decades for centuries and it's a horrible moment in this country but Nobody's talking about right now, 2019, there are people in cages being sold for money. 
Uh, what role does Obama and Hillary have in all that? Yeah, right now, if you go to Libya, you can buy a black man for $400. That is the going rate in Libya right now for, for these men who are being sold into slavery there. And it's unbelievable um, that it's taking place. It's even more unbelievable that it doesn't get covered. Um, Obama and Clinton um, were a part of this, this push for the Arab Spring, which they knew was a lie. They knew it wasn't true. Um, Gaddafi was, you know, became one of their, their guys that they decided they were going to take out. Um, and the, the whole thing was a lie. So and I've been reporting on this since about 2010, 2011, um, talking about what was happening and really was hitting it hard for a long time, um, trying to show people as this process was going on. In Libya, um, the, the goal originally was, remember that Gaddafi, there was an uprising of, of you know, people who wanted Jeffersonian democracy, democracy supposedly in Libya, um, who had this uprising, and then Gaddafi was going to destroy everyone. He was going to go in there and, and kill all these innocent civilians. And so Obama made a speech and said, we're going to intervene. We're going to stop him from doing that. McCain and Graham, the, the, the war hawks and war mongers, uh, pushed for a no-fly zone over Libya, which they got. And it took about eight months from the time that the U.S. got involved to the time that the U.S. tracking from a plane, and there's a video of it, tracking from a plane, found Gaddafi's um, um, motorcade and tipped off insurgents as to where it was. They found him, they dragged him out of that motorcade and murdered him in the streets. Um, remember this, that that under the the claim that these were, again, people from Libya who were fighting for their freedom, but when international newspapers were there on the ground. They were interviewing these guys who were fighting. There's an Italian newspaper that interviewed the head of one of these regiments that was fighting against Gaddafi, and he was not from Libya. None of these guys were from Libya. They were from Pakistan. They were from Afghanistan. They were from other countries. Um, and actually, many of them were fighters who we had captured on the battlefield in Afghanistan. We had held them and then sent them to Libya to fight against Gaddafi. And he was interviewed, this that. general was, he was interviewed about why they were fighting um, and whether or not he would call his fighters Al-Qaeda fighters or good men. And he responded saying, they are Al-Qaeda and they are good men. That's why they're Al-Qaeda. And that's, that's what we did there. We overthrew the country. It went from being an actually a, a beautiful, relatively safe country in Africa to being one of the most horrific places in the entire world. And that was done by Obama and Clinton and not just them, but John McCain and Lindsey Graham and all the, the neocon war hawks who have set um, their minds to absolutely destroying the lives of tens of millions of people in the Middle East. Uh, uh, Benghazi, the Benghazi email scandal. Is this really about emails or is this about the fact that uh, I forget what the ambassador's name at Benghazi, Christopher, Christopher Stevens, Stevens did, knew what was going on, participated in the the uh, funding, training, arming of ISIS, and that this was a way to tie up loose ends that both Obama and Hillary both let happen. So I don't I don't believe that they that they wanted Chris Stevens gone. I think they were embarrassed by what they were doing next, which was Chris Stevens was there to continue and move to the next battleground, which was Syria. And that's what they were working on was now shifting gears from Libya now to go into Syria. And I think they were trying to hide the fact that this was had nothing to do with, you know, setting people free or fighting for the rights of people. It was about um, really working at, at the Israeli and Saudi behest and 
overthrowing governments that, that disagreed with them. Uh, and I think they were embarrassed by the fact that um, this had happened. They didn't want it to come out. Why Christopher Stevens was really there, really there to actually facilitate the selling of arms to those same Al-Qaeda and ISIS groups in Syria. Um, and, that, and that's what I think it was actually about. So so uh, have you heard of uh, rat, Redline Ratline or is it Ratline red, Ratline Redline? Basically breaks down that you know, uh, Obama accuses Assad of gassing his people. The uh, UN gets in there. They test. They're like, this is not the, the, the chemicals that Assad has, that these are most likely the chemicals that were taken from Gaddafi's uh, uh, war chest. And now we're getting in once again to this, oh, he's gassing his people, and it's not really happening. Uh, why isn't anybody upset about this? So I think, um, well, first of all, I will say this. Uh, something really interesting happened with Syria. So we've obviously been covering Syria for a long time and talking about those issues, right? The, the, there were so many discrepancies. Um, and yet we did not, the, the U.S. military never took quite the same step in Syria as they did in Libya. And I think the reason for that was because it also coincided with this moment in time where the tech, um, the tech giants had built up Facebook to a certain point and YouTube to a certain point, where the American public was able to see how they were being duped. So there was a lot of really good reporting done by independent media at that time who were the only ones who were yelling about this, saying they're doing the same thing again that they did in Iraq. They're doing the same thing they did in Libya. They're trying to do it in Syria, and it's lies, and they were able to show it. And for the first time, I feel like the, the public and their lack of willingness to go along with this actually brought it to a halt where, where Obama did not feel confident that he would be able to do in Syria what he did in, in these other countries. And so, and I think that's part of the reason right now that we're seeing this big tech purge. It is not about Donald Trump. It's about getting control of those narratives again over which um, they've lost control. Is the same thing happening in Venezuela right now? Absolutely. Yeah, no, no question about it. And what's, what's interesting about Venezuela, um, I actually just did uh, something today on this. Um, so with Venezuela, the problem is uh, that they know that these no-fly zones don't work because the U.S. public is sick of it. They know that these regime changes don't work. And so they're trying something different. This is actually a, a test run, which is so we get this other opposing presidential figure, right, um, Guayado, who suddenly is standing up and saying, oh, I'm the actual president, interim president. Article 233 of the Venezuelan Constitution allows the, um, the head of the National Assembly to become an interim president until new elections can be held. But it wasn't working because even though, yes, he has some popular support there, he doesn't have military support. So today, you, you suddenly get Trump coming out and his administration saying major sanctions against oil. You have the Bank of England saying we're going to hold all of the gold that belongs to Venezuela and we won't turn it over uh, to Maduro, even though he's trying to get it out because you're not the rightful president. I mean, oh, in any other system, shit. that's just called theft. Oh. It's just theft. I mean, are, I mean, dude, are we starting to enter Nazi numbers in terms of people we've killed and countries we've either invaded or had a, a visible hand in completely destroying? Uh, yeah, I absolutely think we do. I mean, think about just one country, just one, Yemen. Here's a country that we have been bombing indiscriminately since 2004, that we have allowed the Saudis to run the most gruesome campaign uh, that, that I think the world has seen in a century. Um, and right now, in that country, right now, there are 15 million people starving to death 
eight million of them are children. Oh my God. That's happening right now in Yemen. There are people eating leaves and bark off of trees to survive. I can't believe it. And it doesn't make the nightly news on any night. It destroys. Right? And we're allowing this to happen. And we, the only headline that comes out is what the US is doing is selling more arms to the Saudis. Yeah. Okay. Final topic because we're running out of time here. But I wanted to talk, you did a great, great video on the Second Amendment. What does the Second Amendment truly mean? So the Second Amendment, um, it's really very simple. Um, The problem that we have with the Second Amendment is we don't have um, good language today to understand what the founders and framers were saying. But, but But the language is clear, right? Which is, at the time, you had this basic battle between um, the, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists when they were trying to come up with the Constitution. Essentially, one group said, hey, we believe there should be a standing army in the United States. And the other group said, we don't want a standing army because we believe that as soon as there is a, a leader who has a standing army, he'll use it against the people. And the compromise was, okay, we'll have an army if every single man, able man, is armed, right? And every person is able to match force with that military. Because what we refused to have was a system where you would allow a standing army to be armed and a population to not be armed. And so remember, during the, the actual revolution itself, we didn't even have an army other than uh, an army made up of just the average citizenry. And so every single person owned a gun. This concept that the First Amendment protects the right to hunt is so ludicrous and ridiculous. Everyone hunted. Of course yeah. they did. You wouldn't write that into a constitution. Right. And everyone had a gun at the time. You don't even need to write that into a constitution because everyone was armed. So the idea of a militia, because remember it says a, a, a well-armed militia, which is essential to a free state. The militia was every single man and, and, and young man who was allowed to fight for their country. They had to fight, assuming there would be another war again, including the danger that they might face if the standing army rose up. So the bottom line is in our current culture today, the Supreme Court has actually gotten it wrong. We may not like this, I'm not advocating for it, but the Supreme Court's gotten it wrong when they say, you do not have the right to own a bazooka and you do not have the right to own an RPG, right? That's what the Supreme Court says. That's unreasonable and you don't need to have it. But the Supreme Court's wrong. The Constitution says that you have the right to keep and bear arms for the sake of protecting yourself against your own government. That's what it was written for. We may not that's like it. What that's what it's it written for. So basically, if they have a bazooka, you should be able to have a bazooka just in case. Yeah, that's dude. Right. Listen, to man. match force. Yeah, it's match force. People okay. have to understand something. Two things. Uh, the, uh, these countries that don't allow guns, Russia, China, people don't realize when they took the guns, there was a mass slaughter that happened after. The other countries like... England and Australia that don't have guns, their army, their military is not the stormtroopers of the international bankers. And that moment's going to come when people are going to realize they're sending their sons and daughters to die for bankers. And that moment is when they don't want you to have guns. I mean, that's just the truth, man. It's just like we're getting into some dark art situation. Uh, why is why is the media pushing for so to, for us to be unarmed? In your opinion. So I I think a lot of people who are in media push for it because they have been trained to think this way, right? So I think for a lot of them, it's ideological. They just have this this concept. And remember, they live in a a lot of these people live in bubbles. They live in in New York and they're sitting up there in, you know, Fifth Avenue and and, and they don't they're not around uh, just kind of the average person. A lot of them never even seen a gun. 
uh, up close. So they're terrified of this idea. And they have this kind of collective idea that guns guns are bad, but they are only parodying what's being pushed down to them from, from the top. And I think from the top is outside media, media circles where there's been a push for a long time to say, one of the problems with Americans pop, America's population is that the majority of people, um, if you take into the account how many people are in this country, are armed and they have weapons. And you can't just subdue that population easily um, by a foreign power, more importantly, by a domestic power. Yeah. So uh, Trump, everyone's saying Trump made a bill that made it easier for the mentally ill to buy guns. Do you believe that or not? No, actually, he didn't. The, the, what Trump did was he got rid of a bill that was a terrible bill that Obama had signed into law that essentially said this. It did not say if you're mentally ill, you can't have a gun. It said people who do not handle their own Social Security payments may not have a gun. And, and so the ACLU, along with like 15 other mental health organizations, actually had come out against this when Obama signed it, saying that this, this law does nothing to stop people who have mental health problems from having guns. But what it does do is it punishes people who may not have the capacity to handle their own uh, financial payments for a variety of reasons. Um, and most of the people, by the way, who were affected by this are veterans. Most of the people who were affected by his mental health law were veterans who did not necessarily have mental health problems, but couldn't handle their payment system. And so that's why they were not being allowed the guns. That's what he actually took away. It had nothing to do with, with people who have mental health issues. Well, Ben Swan, we've come to the end of our show. It's time for the final question. How do you keep that hair so fucking beautiful? <laughs> How do you keep it Listen, so... It's lo- just, a little, just a little pomade and uh, keep it greasy. Don't wash it too often. You know, that, that helps a lot. You're a good looking man, my friend. I can't thank you enough to co- for coming on our little show, man. And uh, I always love watching your work. I'm so happy you're back on out there pushing the truth. And you have a wonderful way of getting it out. And you, uh, I'm super proud that you did my show. And I hope that if you ever come to L.A., you will either come on the show live or at least come and hang out with me at the comedy store. And you can hang out, watch some comedy and maybe meet some comedians like Rogan or anything or Jimmy That'd Dore. Awesome. I think you would be great on either yeah. of their shows. We'll see what, down the line. I mean, I don't really have any say in anything, but I have people's ears and I think you're a wonderful interview and I think you do a great job. So thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it. I- I appreciate it. Can I just say one quick thing before we go? Um, so, we, you know, we are working on a project that I just want to make people aware of. Um, we've been talking a lot today about, about the tech industry and what's happening. So we have a project. It's called Isagoria, I-S-E-G-O-R-I-A. If you go to Isagoria.com, it'll talk a little bit about what we're doing um, in the future to build out a, a new platform to be able to compete with the Facebooks and the YouTubes to be a free speech platform and get guys like you on there because I think that's – that's the next frontier, man, is, is to say if Facebook and YouTube and all you guys want to create the opportunity, then let's let the free market run wild and let's see what we can do. Well, as soon as it's ready to go, you count me in. I'm there with bells and whistles right on. on. Okay. Ben Swan, you're the best of the best. You're doing the Lord's work, my friend. Keep it up. Be safe. And we'll talk to you soon. And guys, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, 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 watching Tim Foyle hat. Go get, get the shirts. shirts home, get boys. the shirts. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.